0: episode 208 of Some Like It Scott. I'm your host Scott Harvey and I'm joined as always by my co-host Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast we ring in spooky season with the quintessential October franchise in our review of David Gordon Green's trilogy capper Halloween ends. But first how are you Scott?
1: I'm good. I feel like every time I'm on the podcast of this season I just talk about the weather. The weather is sublime. Had a nice walk outside and it was 62 degrees uh, over the weekend, it's now raining here, as you well know, Scott, because you're monitoring New York weather closer than I am uh, today, thanks to the playoff baseball series that is taking place here in New York City that you are following. But I'm good. Um wrapped up my time at the New York Film Festival. It was another successful year of seeing sixteen films, and looking forward to slowly getting to talk about those films over the next few months. i'll I guess I'll mention them a little bit later on in the podcast today. but yeah it's it's fall season and i'm trying to live it up as uh you know it lasts only a couple weeks
0: yeah i like to think that the good lord just wanted us to get this podcast in before the game started because i i don't know how <laughs> good the product would have been if uh if we were recording this it's like night while <laughs> a crucial game five is going on which is what we had in, originally intended so Right. Um, that's yep. that's what I'm chalking it up to as far as the weather goes. But yeah, supposedly they're still going to try to play this thing here in a little bit. So who knows? Might start during the podcast if you notice a sharp decline in quality at a certain point. Um, that may it's because we're tired to and we to, to bed, not because it may just be because yeah. it's some like it's Scott, but it also could be because uh, yeah. the game has started and I'm distracted. But um, it's true. But yeah, I'm doing good, Scott. I'm still recovering from the weekend um where the ultimate yeah you had a Saturday. happened yeah the ultimate yeah. miracle happened of of uh, tennessee defeating alabama um so my victory cigar never tasted so sweet um it was it was an amazing feeling and i still i, I the last couple days i've still woken up like did this really happen? like i've watched the highlights multiple times like today and yesterday like because I just want to make sure that like it actually happened the game actually did happen um, yeah because it just seems so surreal uh, and I will probably regret for the rest of my life that I didn't go when I could have um, but uh, you know I got to watch it with a buddy of mine who's a ten- big Tennessee fan as well so that was probably the next best thing
1: yeah and uh, you know it's uh it's not exactly one-to-one but I regularly go back and watch the highlights of the Manchester City QPR game or even even more of recently, course. the Manchester City Aston Villa game just last year. Um it, it is comparable for you though. I mean it, it is true. for sure. It's 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 just a different it's just like a different beast because soccer obviously flows so differently than football and, you know, not to reduce things, but like it's you know the tendency is it's one game versus like a like the there's a season context behind like the the soccer element, whereas yours is Almost like one game, but over years and years, like played years and years. And years
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was gonna say. To be fair, also Manchester City not quite the underdog that Tennessee has been. Uh, you know, when you think about the last fifteen years or so, not not in this specific sure. game. Although, I mean, they weren't favored in the game, but um, obviously they've been having a very good season. Um, but
1: man, it's gonna um, suck when you guys have a perfect season ruined by Kentucky in the last week. Of the yeah, season. I knew you were gonna say something about that. <laughs> I, I really don't think that's gonna happen, Scott.
0: Um, okay. Man, you're you're uh, under, writing
1: checks. We'll see. We'll see if Tennessee uh, can cash them
0: under <laughs> the lights at Neyland. I I feel pretty good about that. A team we've beaten what twenty seven of the last twenty nine years or something when we weren't even good. So well, I feel okay about it. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. but the difference is Kentucky
1: um, is better this year. When you guys weren't good, Kentucky was also pretty shit. So
0: yes and no. I, better. I, I I don't know that I would Most say of the that. Time. I guess they. Did beat Mississippi State, but losing to South Carolina is a, is a pretty horrible loss. That was a bad. Play,
1: that was a bad loss. But I don't know. Like they're a better team this year than they have been in the past.
0: All right. Well, that's enough talking sports. I think. Uh, yeah. Let's uh, let's move on. Uh, um, as mentioned, our film today is Halloween ends and not uh, till. Which is... Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess. I guess we should explain that. That um, we we didn't really do our homework. Um, now ones. that I live in Charlotte, yeah. yeah. Now that I live in Charlotte, I kind of just expect that I'm going to get most things. Um, but obviously, we discovered that Till was only getting, I guess, a New York and LA release um, yeah. this past weekend. So, no option for me to see it, which uh, turned out to be okay because there was an even bigger movie that um, sure. was out in theaters and on streaming. So we were we were both able to to check it out that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Scott, that movie is Halloween Ends, which is technically the 13th Halloween film, but canonically, it's just the 4th, and the capper to David Gordon Green's Legacy trilogy that started back in 2018. Halloween Ends begins on October 31st, 2019, where we meet Corey Cunningham, played by Rohan Campbell, who's babysitting a young boy named Jeremy when a tragic accident leads to Jeremy's death. Within fast-forward four years, where Corey has been cast out by the town of Haddonfield, blamed by the residents for Jeremy's death. Soon, however, he finds a kindred spirit in Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, who herself herself has become a martyr for the actions of the psycho Michael Myers, killer of many of the town's residents on Halloween 2018, as seen in the previous film Halloween Kills. Corey later meets Laurie's granddaughter, Allison, played by Andy Matichak, and the two begin to form a romance over their shared trauma. But, oh yeah, this is a Halloween film, which means before too long, Michael Myers is bound to appear. And when Corey stumbles across the legendary killer, Laurie and the town of Haddonfield are once again forced to confront the face of pure evil, while perhaps also trying to understand where said evil came from in the first place. Scott, does David Gordon Green's big swing pay off in this final Halloween film for now, or does this series end with a whimper rather than a bang?
1: Yeah, for me, it was somewhere in the middle. Uh, I We were talking about this as we were sort of pivoting away from Till when we realized it wasn't showing near you, and you know we hadn't forgotten about this film. We were planning on doing a, a Halloween special episode dropping um, on Halloween to cover this film, but we decided to just move it up, and I was remarking to you that it's always a great sign when the, the letterbox spread is completely a straight line, just like half stars to five stars. This thing is nearly a straight line across on letter on letterbox ratings, which is the sign of just a chaotic film. Um, and I think that the best way to describe this film is that it is pretty chaotic. Uh, it's very messy. I think that after having a little bit of time to digest it and, and reflect on it, it's a it's a mixed bag for me. And I think that it sort of can very simply be boiled down to a trade-off. David Gordon Green, I think, traded off a very cohesive, like coherent and cohesive narrative story for a bigger swing at some thematic elements that would not have been possible with a more maybe stereotypical, shall I say, um, Halloween trilogy of films. So I think that made for something fairly interesting. Um, Definitely had some thoughts about it overall when it came to the credits rolling. And I do think that you still get, to some extent, um, a payoff on, I think, what all Halloween fans want, which is the showdown between Laurie and Michael. But yeah i think i think that if you were a halloween fan specifically looking for that payoff in this film and thinking that it would be you know an you know an hour and a half sort of epic culmination of this you know rivalry for the lack of a better word between these two that's not at all what the film is the film is not even remotely that it's much more interested in really continuing the themes from Halloween kills especially, but including the original Halloween and 20, not shouldn't say original, the 2018 Halloween. And I think it it created thematic consistency across the movies, but I mean, let's be real, Scott putting a four year time jump in, in between Halloween kills and Halloween ends and setting up this absolutely garbage romance (laughs) between Corey and Allison. I mean, for, for in terms of story and narrative, I didn't think that was very good. I don't think that was ultimately a very good choice, but it has given us something to talk about in terms of the themes. And David Gordon Green clearly having something on his mind when talking about these sort of when when sort of transporting these like iconic slasher films into the modern day where you can comment on society and culture and what that might sort of bear out in terms of, you know, a psycho killer who's, on the loose. So overall it was a mixed bag for me. Um, I had fun though. I will say that I did have fun watching the film. It's just sort of like, you know, you you kind of have to just shrug because it, it sort of puts its cards on the table up front. It shows you the four year time gap almost immediately. It shows, it sets this romance up <laughs> very awkwardly in him. I'm almost like pigeonholing this, like Laurie <laughs> finding this guy and taking him, Taking him to the hospital to set him up with her daughter. Um, very very strange stuff happening in the first 20 minutes of this film. But you know once you get past that, I think it just starts to have you know your it has your you have your themes that it's sort of wrestling with in the background and it has this story about you know a psycho and um, on Halloween. And I think that's um at its core, it's what the film was. It was a it was a moderate success in that extent, but yeah, just a lot of shrugs. In the first 20, 30 minutes, I think I texted you like 15 minutes into this movie. And I'm like, this is this is a crazy idea, like premise to this film, like where you have this back like Halloween kills, picks up seconds after the end of Halloween 2018. Um, it ends with Laurie's daughter being brutally murdered by Michael in the house, and it barely addresses that at all in the film, which is a pretty wild swing to use your word there. Um, but overall, it made for an interesting film that I somewhat enjoyed and thought narratively made not that much sense, but thematically made a lot of sense. So it was interesting in that sense in that respect.
0: I mean, it has been very divisive, certainly. And after watching it, like I get why it it could be divisive. Sure. at the same time, I feel like a lot of the negative takes I have been reading, I don't necessarily understand quite where they're coming from. Um, because I think that one one critique I've seen is um, that the movies don't feel consistent with each other, right that they just feel like three sort of different disparate parts of a not quite a not quite a whole that um, there isn't much to connect the trilogy. Um, and i I agree I mean I agree with you, Scott. I think you know, the first movie is about, trauma i mean not to, not to be on the nose about it but it's about trauma obviously you've probably seen the freaking fan cam of jamie lee curtis just like saying the word trauma over and over and over again at the press tour for this movie so uh, i'm you know leaning in a little bit by saying that but it is um and then this you know halloween kills had a lot although it was very unsuccessful had a lot of ideas about like the mob rule kind of in a way right the the mob of i don't i don't know there's like social media really played a role in it but y- you know it has those sort of vibes too right everybody ganging up against michael myers um and sort of the consequences yeah evil dies tonight or whatever the, evil dies tonight right the same um, as, yeah and and this movie is kind of merging those two ideas together right because you have a new character who is affected by the same trauma in a way that Laurie and um
1: yeah and a similar Allison trauma are for to. sure
0: yes yeah. um in an opening sequence that i think is pretty effective right you know it's a it's a slasher movie it's a horror movie you expect these sort of cold opens um that yeah. you get um in in these movies uh, so you know the original halloween has one um and halloween 2018 some- had one yeah, I mean in some they, way, yeah, yeah, in some ways it's even reminiscent of the one here, the the one in the original Halloween. But um but yeah, I thought it was very effective. You know, you introduce this new, this new character, you have like him, you know, connecting with both Laurie and Allison over there sort of shared trauma. And I mean, I agree with you that well, I think that in for storytelling purposes, the romance makes sense i understand why they wanted to go that route but i don't think it was executed particularly great um i think that's my main main critique like i don't think the dialogue was great like it happens pretty fast um it it just it doesn't quite click but i understand like from a fifty thousand foot view why they would take it in that direction because again they do have something in common um something very important and crucial to their identity in common. And so there's a sort of solidarity that emerges there. Um, And, you know, I think eventually they, we both kind of, we see that they both kind of want out of Haddonfield. Right. And like that, the other person is kind of providing a, the, you know, ticket out an excuse to get out something, something like that, whatever you want to call it. Um, The problem is that you don't
1: really, you don't really get this. I think it becomes very clear that Corey, this new character like you sort of feel like the ongoing residual trauma that he experiences with his interactions with other people in town. You don't really get that with Allison. It isn't. uh, I mean, like you can sort of reason it to yourself. I'm not questioning the the logic of it, but uh, you know, she seems like, Oh, because this voiceover at the beginning that Laurie has about like how she moved on with her life and she went to therapy and got better and has this life with her granddaughter. They live together you get the sense that there's like some happiness there, but, but then, you know, 30 minutes later, you have Alison talking about how she hates everything and wants to leave, which is like, again, you can logic your way to it, but you don't sort of get the experience of her being sort of re traumatized over and over again by the town in the same way that Corey is.
0: Yeah. I think it's, I mean, you, you get it with Lori and I guess they just kind of want you to transplant that onto her because, you know, they've yeah. had similar experiences now. Again, the the trauma for her is more, I guess, what we see at the end of Halloween Kills. Her mom sacrificing herself for Allison. Yeah. But um, to your point, I guess, you know, they, they don't do a whole lot with that probably until, you know, late into the film.
1: Again, because um, they barely even acknowledge the end of Halloween Kills yeah. in the film. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. It's just
0: like, and, and, yeah, the beginning is rough because Laurie is just like, fine it seems like which is not something we've really seen at all in this trilogy uh and she's fine even though michael myers is still out there everyone hates her um in the town it seems so there's yeah like her her personality is doing like a lot of whiplashing uh throughout this entire trilogy um so that part doesn't really work. Uh, I agree that that it does start out rough. But once we get into the the meat of it, um, you know, I enjoyed the film. I did. Um, I think, you know, a, another complaint, right, is, is people saying that Laurie gets sidelined again. I certainly felt that about Halloween Kills, where they just put her in a hospital for the whole movie. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel that here. I, I think... You know, she is. Yes, she's probably not the main character. Um, Corey's
1: the main character in this film. Yes, for sure.
0: yes, yeah. But she ha- still has a significant, substantial role to play. Um, yeah.
1: She may not be on the screen as much, but she doesn't feel sidelined. To the you know, to yes. your point.
0: Yes, um, and so I didn't have a problem with that either. Again, I, I'm not really seeing where that. Um, is coming from. I've also seen people complaining about the final showdown and that it not really delivering. Again, I don't agree. Like I think they wanted a
1: 30 minute Epic duel, Scott, they didn't want, I I mean, I guess, I guess they,
0: I guess they did because, you know, ultimately this franchise was building this, this trilogy was building towards, right. That final confrontation once and for all, Lori and, you know, Michael Myers are gonna face off. And obviously it has like some other resonance because Jamie Lee Curtis is probably the last time that she'll play the role and we understand that. Um, And so, you know, there is some sense of finality about it even though there could still be more Halloween films made down the line, there probably will be. And I felt like we got the showdown, right? We got the showdown that was promised. Um, Yeah, maybe they wanted something, you know, more epic. But uh, I was satisfied with what we got. I don't think it overstayed its welcome. And I think ultimately it provided the closure that I was looking for out of this film. Uh, because, again, Halloween Kills felt so much like filler. It just felt like we are just trying to get to the next movie. and Which is know, the craziest so part, because...
1: It felt like filler, because it felt like a setup for the final confrontation. And it turns out that final confrontation is four years later, and yet we had Halloween kills. Like it just feels like you didn't need to to have this bloated second film if all you were gonna do was jump four years. Sorry, I can't I just can't get over the fact that they jumped four years.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, it it it, it is a wild direction to take for sure. But again, at the end of the day. I felt like Halloween Kills was building toward, was saying, you know, one of the reasons it was unsuccessful is because it felt like it was filler. It was just trying to get us to the third film. To their credit, I do think the third film more or less delivered, right? Like there was a lot of pressure, I think, on the movie to deliver after um, Halloween Kills. And I enjoyed the movie ultimately, even though it does have its problems. Um, So...
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, to be fair, there's that... there's no way to do this movie without a time jump, like the way that David Gordon Green like to explore the themes that he wanted to explore. There's no way to do this movie without a time jump, like the movie could not have been made. Yeah, yeah, of course. as a part three to you know the first two movies in this trilogy, mm-hmm. um, in the same in the same way at least. Yeah, I thought the Corey
0: stuff worked. Okay, um, it needed
1: a better. I mean, it needed a better actor. Unfortunately, like it, I hate prob- to say pro- it, but
0: yeah, probably. But like you know, I'm not expecting that. It's you know, it's it's a Halloween movie at the end of the day. These movies don't really have star-studded casts. It's it's it is what it is. It's um, low I, I I mean, I thought it was it was an interesting. If you're going to introduce somebody new right in the last film of the trilogy, like I thought, that's such an important character too. I thought they did an okay job with it. Um I thought it was a it was a better way to move things along than simply giving us, oh, Michael Myers has a family member or something like that, right like that that <laughs> he has was, a brother. Know, that's the classic way that franchises <laughs> yeah. do these things nowadays. They did a a spin on that, I guess it's safe to say, that in my opinion, sure. worked. Um
1: he had a spiritual family member.
0: Yeah, I liked that it was a little bit more of a slow burn as well. You know, David Gordon Green got his start in making indie dramas. And movies like George Washington and Snow Angels are very, like, humanist, like, character pieces, basically. And uh, I think, you know, some people have pointed out that kind of the start of the movie, at least, um, is maybe him sort of channeling some of that. Because, it. Ta- you know, we have the opening scene, obviously, but then it takes a while before, like, anybody else gets whacked so um i i guess i appreciated that because halloween kills was just non-stop frenetic like just people getting yeah murdered left and right and
1: man the 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 person having their hand hit and shooting themselves in the head that that will will live rent free in my head i mean that was
0: like the only good moment of it but yeah um oh man but yeah so i I like that it took its time I, you know, maybe the consequences. I don't know that the actual kills, the horror stuff, like I don't know if there's anything here that's as good as, let's say, in the first film, the scene in the bathroom, oh. right? Wow. Um, yeah. Is pretty, pretty great. I mean, and even, you know, also. That's the opener, also, right? No, no. I um, know oh, that's later absolutely. on. You're right.
1: That's later on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Also, the opening is when they're at the hospital with Mike. Yeah. But, well, they're um, at the prison, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, prison, hospital, whatever. Um, and then, you know, later on in that movie as well, just sort of the whole scene where he just, he he arrives in the town and is like walking through and everything on Halloween is also very good. I don't think there's anything that comes close here. You know, there's a junkyard sort of uh, sal- salvage yard scene with a bunch of teenagers that maybe comes the closest. But ultimately, I think it's about the final showdown and it it more or less came through. So. You get the blowtorch kill, you know. Yeah, you didn't. You didn't like the blowtorch. Yeah, sure, that was good. I mean, once when you mention it, but again, wasn't I guess ultimately super memorable. But in the end, I like the movie more than most people did, Scott. I'm not going to say it's a it's a great horror movie. Um, I don't think it reaches the upper echelon of some of the horror movies we've seen this year. Um, Sure, but I think it is solid. I think it was a satisfying way to. Um, to cap off a very mixed trilogy, um, and you know I would put it on the level of something like the Black Phone, which came out this year. Um, as well, I know you haven't seen that one yet, Scott, but sure. for me they were you know qu- quality wise they they came out about the same. So, um, I, I say give it a chance, even if you're just watching it on Peacock. I do mean, That's what both of us did. Um, so I'd
1: recommend uh, it. Subscribe to Peacock. Yeah, watch. I, I mean, hands. you know.
0: Again, normally we, of course, we always advocate going to the theater. But um, I don't think this is by any means one you have to see in a theater. And you may have a better experience with it if you are watching it at home. um, To be to be quite honest, because I don't know that it has like the the quality. Again, like it's not something like a nope or something else something like that right where it's like the theatrical experience feels essential to that i'm sure you can have some fun with it you know if there's people in the theater and stuff like that but i'm uh, sure it'd have
1: been fun to get that that you know that carpenter score although i know he didn't actually score the whole film i know but you know get that opening uh, yeah. theme on the big speakers that'd been fun
0: it feels it feels like i mean you you could say this is a good streaming quality film like to, to be to be honest in the end better than most
1: I, of the netflix garbage right
0: yeah I, I don't mean that to sound like a a critique which it probably does come out that way but um nowadays there's a lot of streaming films so um that's true is what it is its Scott, um you know horror movies aren't really um known for their casts uh it's not really something that um is necessarily a draw though. that you know has become a little different with the rise of elevated horror um again whatever that bs term means in the last few years i think it's the um, horror
1: movies you watch scott i think those are the elevated horror movies
0: well i watch all I'm i mean again joking. i watch this i watch joking. the black phone yeah um but anyway ethan,
1: the black uh, phone has ethan hawk in it to be fair but yeah
0: it's not elevated horror though scott it's scott sure. derrickson yeah. makes them they're right down the middle but um <laughs> heaters but yeah uh jamie lee curtis obviously returning this is her sixth or seventh film that she's um appeared in a halloween film that she's appeared in um and uh you know she's playing lori we have andy matichak who's appeared in all three films in the trilogy is allison rohan campbell um he mentioned there is is the new new cast member um corey uh james jude courtney once again plays michael myers for the third straight film And uh, Will Patton, who, um, you know, appears in all three films as well. He's not in this one very much, but um, he's Laurie in this in this movie. (laughs) He does. (laughs) He does appear sort of at the beginning and the end. But those, I think, are your sort of your main cast members there, Scott. What did you think about, you know, them? Any anyone stand out or anything like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, Scott. I think Jamie Lee Curtis is, is still the standout in this cast. I mean, not maybe not a huge surprise, but. Given the fact that she has such such a, a a big journey, even with the sort of very awkward, rushed feeling of the beginning to sort of catch you up on what's happened in the interim between, you know, the last movie and this one. I still think her journey and her performance is still the most interesting in the film. Um, Andy Matichak is, is solid. I wouldn't say she's memorable. Um, certainly would say the same for Rowan Campbell. Again, he's fine, but I'll be honest—if he's memorable, it, it won't be for the right reasons. I think there's some, there are some very weird line deliveries, almost, almost very, very whiny at certain times, um, at various points in the movie, which I found, um, you know, it didn't, it didn't strike me terribly positively. But yeah, if I had to pick one, I think it'd be Jamie Lee Curtis. I don't think this film again sort of going back to a critique i had during my over like i like because of the nature of the premise of this sort of third film in the trilogy it doesn't really the narrative performances and emotional journeys are not necessarily as coherent as i might have hoped i think the performances are still solid in the case of you know Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode but you know even the even the journey that Andy Matichak's Allison is on it I don't think is is completely coherent it the the most coherent parts are still that sort of meta narrative theme on society and culture and not necessarily the emotional journey of an of a specific character obviously the the meta the the meta textual element of the film has to relate to certain characters but I don't find their journeys themselves memorable. Like when I think back about what this movie was about, it's not going to be because, you know, oh, Laurie like really went through a clear emotional arc or Allison went through a clear emotional arc. It will, it probably won't be like that. And so I don't know if I necessarily would think of, even in the context of horror slasher films, particularly memorable performances taking place in this film. Maybe some fun cameos. Uh, The DJ douchebag, absolute douchebag, that DJ. Um, that kid, Jeremy, the kid that, that dies in the opening scene. What he he an asshole. asking for it. Yeah. Man, yeah. The guy, he, you know, I'm just going to point you to the, uh, fuck around, find out, um, chart, uh,
0: meme. And just, he was, he was somewhere on that chart. I'll tell you that. No, much. no, no one was sorry to see that. And I mean, I think that's obviously very intentional because they want you to have some empathy for Corey, obviously. So definitely. Um, I, th- I think they they're setting the stage for that from the beginning. Yeah. I, right. you, I mean, ha- you, you haven't know. been
1: asking the right questions. I will say this now that we're on this topic, you're not been asking the right questions. And I think the real question is be asking is between the two of us, who is the psycho and who is the freak show? That's, that's <laughs> the real hard hitting questions we should be asking ourselves, Scott.
0: Yeah. I think we'll have to, we'll have to decide that by the end of the episode. I'm, uh, All I'm, right. I'm laying down an ultimatum, but um, sure. yeah, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis is is good, you know she she's doing pretty similar stuff to what she's done in in this role before. Um, another another comment that I don't really agree with some people were saying that they felt like Andy Matichek's Allison gets kind of neutered in this movie um, and is not as quote unquote badass as she's been in the last two movies. Um, <laughs> Which okay. again, I I don't agree with. Um, j- just you know, quite literally in the last fight, you know, spoiler she alert, I
1: guess rips this Michael's arm and right. And um, I don't know
0: what more yeah. what more you want there. But also, I think if you just think about, you know, what happens with her and Corey. Right again, she is ready to leave Haddonfield, which is in my opinion one of the ballsiest things that any character has done in this whole trilogy right because that's that's what we've been saying all along you, you know why don't these people just leave haddenfield right yeah. they just leave? why are you still here yeah um and um and she is going to do that until you know stuff starts happening so i don't see where that complaint is really coming from I also don't understand the complaints about Michael Myers being an old guy. Yes, there are complaints about that out there, um, because I guess we don't understand that people age, right? I, and that, yeah,
1: always supposed to be—he's supposed to be like sixty years oldish. Because forty I mean, years he was past. terrorizing
0: Laurie forty years ago. Like, yeah, exactly. What do you expect? Yeah. So he's um, like sixty to seventy years old. Yeah, no, he's I know lost He lost his edge, like, Scott. He lost his edge. He, that's the problem. He has because that's what I was going to say. Is that in Halloween Kills, he's you know he's still just just killing it. He's nuking literally in Halloween but, Kills, but um, but I don't have a problem. I mean, it's it's you know it's Last Jedi syndrome. It's Luke Skywalker syndrome. People are like, no, our you know our our characters that we know can't be old and frail. Um, and I don't think Michael Myers is really old and frail either in this movie, but um some people well, just like he's a little
1: bit old and frail in the sewers i don't know what well, he's that's been what i was gonna eating, say some people had some rats. Had problems
0: with him being like a hermit down in the sewers which um again i think that's like, fair i
1: think it's fair that it's weird that he's been down there for four years that, been that been is a bit sewers, of a strange yes. thing yeah yes yeah um but in terms of the complaints about him being old or anything like yeah i mean he's old dude i don't know what you I, want like i don't he's, care like he's 60 to 70 years different. old
0: Again, this movie is something different. Um, It is not your standard run-of-the-mill slasher. It is not your standard run-of-the-mill Halloween um, movie. It is going in some different directions. And they're not all going to come off. But um, I think if, at least in alienating people, he's alienating them for the right reasons. He's alienating them because he tried.
1: He's doing something interesting.
0: He's doing something different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and on that topic, Scott, you know, just to sort of put a put a bow on the point about um, the themes, um, and you know, the, this idea of um, maybe the the evil, right? The, you know, they're they're all in Halloween Kills, like you said, they're all chanting "Evil dies tonight." Well, maybe the people of Haddonfield um, have a role. Uh, and maybe a significant role in, you know, basically determining what becomes quote unquote, evil, right? Because um, Cory Corey's whole journey in this movie kind of, you know, um, is exemplifies that because he's he's not a bad person, it seems in the beginning of the movie. He has he gets caught in this accident. that is not his fault. And um, you know, that uh, ideally, He would take he would receive no responsibility for and although he is acquitted um under the law you know he he is clearly the entire town holds it against him he's getting bullied he's getting you know beat up he just he's a complete um martyr in the community basically um and because of that right you know we start seeing um the this darker side come out of him and you know Michael Myers rescued, rescues him from the, the bullies, um, you know, when he's lying there um, and takes him to the sewers and then lets him go. Right. Um, and, you know, there is some implication of, like, him possessing Corey in some way. Right. Um, th- that has been a bit of a talking point. But either way, I think the point is that. Um, he he starts to take after Michael and. Um, not just because he's, you know, been bullied and has the trauma and everything from that, but also because Michael kind of like, you know, paid attention to him uh, in a way that the other people in the town weren't weirdly enough. Um, and so he becomes sort of a collaborator or one with Michael, depending on what your, your interpretation is. Yeah. Again, people, so happened.
1: people are really reading yeah. that as she was possessed?
0: Yes. Man, that Reminded I don't see that at all. Yeah, I don't really either, but um you know, it wouldn't be past the franchise. I think they've done supernatural stuff before, but
1: uh, It's just very asynchronous with the the themes of the film, I feel like.
0: Yeah, yeah, I th- I think so too.
1: It would completely uh, change that read of the movie, I think.
0: Oh yeah, also we have to acknowledge that there are some very strange sort of I'll get back to what I was saying in a second, but strange sort of visual references here. Uh Fallen Angels gets referenced, the Kar Wai movie when they're on the motorcycle, like it's yeah, a direct shot. Also, when they're also when they're on the motorcycle, we get the shot of the road, um, you know, going in and out of the light and everything and moving along very quickly, which is like David Lynch's Lost Highway. That's literally the opening credits and the ending of Lost Highway. So strange but cool films that he's borrowing from that David Gordon Green is borrowing from. But anyway, um, yeah the the um, the themes you know sort, sort of turned the blame to some extent back on the people of Haddonfield and for you know creating a monster in in their own way. And obviously Lori um, has a role to play in this too, because she's experienced the same sort of ostracism that um, that that um, Corey has in the movie. Um, and i i what i would have liked is if the movie maybe acknowledged her role maybe a little bit more like you know she she writes this book she kind of exploits the situation uh in a way she writes this memoir um, i wanted maybe to the movie to take a little more of a critical eye at Lori, but ultimately i thought it was an interesting direction that it went in i thought it was like a timely in a way right uh, because we do have social media we do have you know, these mobs that emerge and, um, you know, whether it's online, whether it's literal mobs, whatnot, and um, we're always talking about, you know, people like Corey, it feels like, you know, whether it's school shooters or something like that, you know, there are these people who we point to as evil, right, As, as true villains, and we want to believe there's nothing more to it than that. But the the truth of the matter is, there's usually something more to that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, not to rewind too much, but yeah, I I definitely don't see the read of the possession. I mm-hmm. I, I think that there's heavy. It's out there though. <laughs> I mean, this is why I don't log on as often as as you mm. do. Um, yeah. So I I think that I I read pretty strongly that it's it's not. I mean, what's what's funny, Scott, is that I think that the read of of possession is, is like, it's kind of like the Haddonfield read. It's like, oh, it's not what we did, that that caused. It's what Michael did, yeah. It's yeah, it's Michael's. It's it it's the pure evil of Michael. It's innate sort of the,
0: evilness, yeah. Yeah,
1: whatever Laurie had said there at the end, because he's like, there's two kinds of evil in the world. There's the innate evil, and then you know the the evil that the pure evil that you you were born evil or whatever, like Michael that was, Lord and did, then, yeah yeah and then there's the other stuff too so uh, such a fascinating meta meta commentary on the movie that some people are trying to explain the film away as my like michael possessing cory instead of Corey just being pushed towards michael and adopting michael's behaviors because you know he's being treated the way he's being treated by the town um Yeah, I mean, Scott, this was I mean, this whole sort of thematic exploration is 100% the best part of the movie for me. I mentioned it sort of in my in my higher level thoughts that I, I felt like the film was trading off narrative storytelling cohesion for thematic intent. And the thematic intent is that, oh, you remember Halloween 2018, where it seemed like we were just having a normal sort of slasher film. and. You have all these elements of, you know, Laurie trying to be pa- is paranoid and trying to survive this evil and is retry and you know is suffering PTSD, et cetera, et cetera. And we're pivoting that towards, you know, what if there were other kinds of evil, like this mob rule, this idea of um, you know, it, it it's a little bit more nuanced than just calling it cancel culture or whatever, but like this idea that that cult- culture can override um individuals and and sort of preordain certain outcomes and how that's toxic and how that's negative and that leads to bad outcomes like the death of Judy Greer's character. And then there's this third kind that's longer term, right? This this is where the time joke comes in, it's that you it doesn't happen overnight sort of like the cancel culture can happen, but there's this third kind where you know a, an individual can be caught in these really horrible circumstances like what happens with Corey and Jeremy. And you know you you said this very well at the start, so no need to repeat it. But like he should have he should have been given he should have been cared for rather than ostracized. And instead, he was ostracized. He became a pariah of the town, and he has no way out, no support. He has a terrible home life. We haven't talked about his his mother um, at all yet, but I mean, We're horrible sort of
0: a boogie nights, uh, Joanna, and yeah, sure. mom. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. absolutely
1: horrible mother. He has like a somewhat supportive stepdad, but who doesn't feel like he can get completely involved in his life because it's not his son. Um, So yeah, it's sort of like a a set of circumstances that, you know, maybe we'd like to say don't ever happen. And and of course like a, a situation like Jeremy dying is more rare, but people have bad home lives. People have bad things happening every day. And when you don't receive that support, when you become judged and the worst is thought of you for these Sort of circumstances that are out of your control. Um Does that make you? D- does that absolve you of blame for the horrible things that happen later on in the in the film? If you become someone like Michael, but of course not. But I think it's trying to pr- provide a very layered and nuanced look at responsibility for someone becoming that. You know, yes, that person could have chosen to not become you know a mass murderer, a serial killer, but also people could have could have shown more care and and given more attention to someone like Corey um someone like Allison not that Allison became obviously a serial killer in this movie um but like rather rather than ostracizing these people from society um you know making them feel welcome and included and cared for um you know that I think some some of that is very cheesy and on the nose and a bit um a bit maybe too twee, but when you boil it down to it. But I do think that it, it's interesting to think about a movie like Halloween and serial killer slasher movies in general. Yeah. And frame I'm those sure things into said. and frame those things into that context. Like I said, super interesting thematic choices. Pretty radical, being yeah. Being made in this movie. Um at the sacrifice of a better story, probably. Um, but hey, I mean, like you said already. I'd rather David Gordon Green make a mixed bag of a film doing something interesting than a mediocre film doing nothing interesting at all.
0: Yeah, I mean pretty pretty radical like you're saying to suggest that you know that this is the case in a in a entire genre of the slasher movie which is sure. often all based about evil. on Yeah, just you know these sort of figures like jason like Freddie, um, Freddie, yeah. like michael with very thin backstories who are just face. yeah, there to to hack people up um and, i mean and, to be fair michael
1: still has a thin backstory but yeah there's sure other, yeah, there's yeah. Other to
0: to to take that and turn it on his head in a way and say yeah and, and you know really explore um, the the psychology of evil now not as not as deeply or in as complex a manner as they could have, but to even yeah. go there, um, yeah, I think it and makes the movie more successful.
1: It re- it really does put things into an interesting light where it feels like that first film back in 2018 is like, all right, all right, guys, horror fans, here is your modern Halloween film, like your true like modern slasher Halloween film. I'm going to have these great kill shots. Like we're going to do all the cool, like all the traditional stuff and just wait for what I have in store for you for like the two part sequel to this. Because um, it, it thematically feels that's the, that's how it went down. Like David Gordon Green had to prove he could make a banger of a slasher film. And then he got to do is what was thematically interesting to him. Yeah. And I remember seeing Halloween uh, 2018 back in theaters. Love that film. Great film. I think I gave yeah, four seen Star it a couple times.
0: Is that I our last episode?
1: It. I can't remember. Is that our last episode? One of those. We can. We can never
0: remember. I, I. I don't yeah. think so. I want to say like Creed two might have been our last episode. I'm not sure. I think Green Book. Whatever movie we did with Green Book was our last episode.
1: Yeah, It could have been maybe the favorite. I can't remember. It was something like.
0: that. Yeah, that's that could be
1: right as well. We could just list I every remember. movie that came out in the fall of 2018, mm-hmm. and that's our last episode. <laughs>
0: uh, but yeah, the you know I think. Ultimately, I guess looking at the franchise, we got 1.75 good movies. I would say, <laughs> all right. Um, I mean, fair enough, Scott. Last question: Anywhere for Halloween to go from here, uh, that you know you would care to, to see, really?
1: I mean, honestly, Scott, no. Um, look, they 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 disposed of his body, so I don't know like what you're supposed to get you're just gonna retcon this shit and like
0: yeah of course they're gonna (laughs) do the same thing they did in this trilogy i mean again they've they've done this before when they did h20 and resurrection they retconned all the sequels i mean halloween 3 season of the witch has nothing to do with any other halloween movie like every single other halloween movie (laughs) has like retconned halloween 3 well the other option is to go like you know keep keep with this
1: sort of sequence of events and have some like even more crazed, deranged, evil person than Corey, like worship at the mythology of Michael. Um, you that's, know, Scott. That's kind
0: of like what Scream Five did, right? Like, I, sure. I feel like that's yeah. already been done.
1: I mean, but. yeah, hundred percent. I I think it. To be fair, Scott, I think it would be very interesting if you go like a. What is it? Fi- is it Final Destination? Um, you go like a Final Destination route or something like that, where you have a bunch of people trying to like. I don't know, do something related to Michael. And then like slowly, one by one, these people get get killed. I think that could be or interesting. Do, or do a very different do,
0: twist. They're just going to do like Saw 4 or something where it's oh, like God. Michael left a recorder behind you know, <laughs> that has a whole master plot or whatever. Yes, he died. I mean, that's but...
1: all of the Saw movies, Scott. Isn't that like all of them basically? Well, no,
0: but but Jigsaw like straight up dies at the end of the third one. And then the next right, one is like, oh, but you know, he... He's left he's left a recorder and we're, we're back in that's actually as far Ma- as I Michael made it. had
1: a Michael had another protege besides Corey in the sewers that's what it's gonna be
0: yeah that's as far as I made it in the song franchise so um sorry for the spoilers I guess all right <laughs> yeah Scott, I just, yeah I,
1: I guess well, well, last couple things I, yeah. I think something like uh taking the sort of Halloween format of a film like it's a very traditional slasher film and then doing something like like sort of like remixing that framework not quite scream like maybe where you're like you're parodying the genre but just like take people's expectations for a halloween film and like just do something a little bit different in the genre i think that if you i mean eventually they're going to make another halloween movie scott we all know this this is not the end of the franchise um I was I was reading where the rights revert to, I guess, whoever created the character originally. So it may not even be Universal who does the next Halloween film. Um, Blumhouse, I think Jason Blum has openly said that he's not making another Halloween movie. So it's going to be someone different. And I think that doing sort of remixing the genre or the expectations of a Halloween film could be interesting. Um, But on a on a tangentially related note, David Gordon Green is not done making Universal um or horror films at universal because he's doing the exorcist um legacy sequel uh which i believe is going to come out next year if i'm not mistaken so he's staying busy in the horror realm with universal what do you i mean you watched the exorcist earlier this year for the first time scott and if i'm not mistaken you really liked it a lot um if i remember your Box review absolutely
0: yeah i mean the exorcist is, is fantastic i mean i i don't see as a fan of horror honestly as a fan of movies like how you cannot admire what that movie accomplishes
1: well so what so what are your expectations for a you know a 40 years ish later sequel i know it's not exactly 40 years but like a legacy sequel for the exorcist when you have you know the like sort of like jamie lee curtis in halloween you have um ellen burston oh yeah she is in the first one that's right chris mcneil it's like leslie adam jr and out in ellen burston mm-hmm. in the exorcist yeah so I mean, what are your expectations for something like that? I think it's supposed to come out this time next year,
0: October, horror release. I am down with it. I need to examine some of the Exorcist sequels, I guess, because um, I I don't know the lore super well. I know that the Exorcist Two is supposed to be horrible, and then Exorcist Three has kind of a cult following, from what I understand. So, well, it's gonna be it's gonna be a trilogy. I'm pretty yeah. sure. If
1: my understanding is that David Gordon Green's gonna get his Exorcist trilogy now.
0: And it makes sense, right? Like, you know, we we did, we had a Nightmare reboot. We had a Friday the 13th reboot. We had Halloween. Now we had Texas Chainsaw reboot this year. Well, Halloween did well.
1: David Gordon Green. It'll be interesting because I think that we are a fan of what he did here. But as you've alluded to multiple times, it doesn't seem like the consensus from audiences is that it's well received. So I wonder if, you know the the guy who made the three Halloween movies is going to ha- carry the cachet um, into the Exorcist films. I wonder if that's going to be a new hill to climb, or if he'll have a built-in audience for it. I mean, it's the Exorcist; it's going to have a built-in audience for it. But is it going to is it going to build on itself? I wonder.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like it is in some ways a similar franchise to take on because you have the original, which is you know, yeah. Iconic, classic, legendary—like one of the top horror yeah. movies of all time. Throwaway and then you sequels. have a bunch of sequels, which people yeah. don't really care about. So, yeah, um, it, it's probably a, a good, good place for him to go next. It's—it's it's just interesting that. You know, because he started his career making like the indie films and stuff like that. that This is the direction he's gone. Usually you see it the opposite way, right? Like you see the people start out by making horror movies and then they go and make like the interesting films that they actually want to make. Uh, But, you know, more power to it.
1: Are you excited for Pazuzu to make their return? Sure. It's a fun name. Isn't that the name of the devil or whatever? Yeah. yeah. In the exorcist. Yeah. Hell yeah. Let's go. All right, Scott, you're asking vomiting. me what my favorite my favorite scene was, right?
0: Yes, I was favorite scene of my life.
1: Um, This is a cheap answer, Scott, but I mean, I think I have to. I just have to live my truth. The title card. I mean, I'm sorry. Like the carpenter, the carpenter well, the font <laughs> theme. Yeah. Okay. I saw people. No, that's something that I saw people complain. about. I saw people complaining about the blue title card versus orange. I did. Oh, uh, I've
0: seen. That. I've seen people praising it as well. I like. Yeah, I mean, I liked
1: it. It was great. I loved it. I mean, again, this is a bit. This is purely for the musical element for me. Um, also the pumpkins, those were cool. I guess too in the title card, but uh, actual scenes in the film. I mean, in terms of like climactic moments, it, it's got. It's got to be the showdown. I mean, getting not, hit. You know, hit, Michael's hands knifed into the table. Also, Scott. I mean, I don't know what it is with like the split hands this year. Isn't that like the second or third time that's happened? Yeah in a horror movie this year wow people people really wild him out with the ripping their hands and as as soon as as she nailed one of one of his hands to the table i'm like he's gonna rip that hand out and it's gonna be nasty
0: so i think it happened in scream right and then in in x it was foot because he steps on the nail i thought yeah okay
1: I just know that similar, similar-ish similar stuff has happened multiple yeah, times. Just I, I'm time. just People trying really to remember off the top of my head. head,
0: yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But, uh, but, yeah, that's a good show. I knew I that mean, was going to yeah,
1: happen yeah. as soon as Knife into hand onto the table. I'm like, he's going to rip that. I'm actually surprised it took as long as it did for him to rip mm-hmm. his hand out. Anyway, that's all I got.
0: Um You know, we mentioned the romance didn't really work super well. I will say the one moment which which for me personally clicked was uh, there's a great needle drop um, early on when Corey and um, Allison go into a club bar or something and are dancing to Halloween by the Dead Kennedys, which would never actually be playing in that sort of establishment, um, but is a great punk song. Um, and you know they're they're cutting loose. It's a fun scene. Um, yeah, it it's was a great needle drop. So I wanted to give a shout out to that because that was I was not expecting that, and I I liked it.
1: Yeah, there's also also um, what is it, uh, Scott? We have not talked about the kills in this movie. I know that apparently there are none of them are memorable for you, but the DJ got his oh, tongue cut off.
0: <laughs> yes, and I'm sorry, I have to mention what is the craziest moment to me in this movie, which is in that salvage yard scene. Um, we have the one girl who is lying dead, and I don't remember what the guy. Oh yeah, I know. What is, he, he yeah. runs over His to her Terry, and is like, "I think is like where's Stacy or something." Stacy's dead. She, and she's like she he's dead. She Stacy's dead, and then Michael's coming up behind the guy or Corey, one of them, and yeah. and she's like, "And you're dead too." What Why a, would a... you say that? Like yeah, that is it? your friend right there. Why aren't you yelling? He's right behind you. Why aren't you trying to physically maneuver him in some way? You're just going to say you're dead too? That She's lost so the will stupid, to live, Scott.
1: She's lost the will to live.
0: Yeah, but that doesn't mean she has to doom her friend like that. I mean, seriously. Her, her boyfriend.
1: I mean, it seems like it was her boyfriend too. Oh yeah, the maybe. Yeah. Also, you're the, dead
0: uh, too. The what is it? The the
1: is it the physician's assistant or or doctor like the nurse? I don't remember the the one that's like rivals to Andy getting mounted
0: on the wall with the knife. And I love that she was, um, you know, they were having an affair, right? And she's over at his house, and yeah. she's calling him. She's walking through the oh house, my and God. she's going, yes. "Doctor Mathis, yes, Doctor Mathis, <laughs> why are you calling I'm like
1: him doctor? I'm like you are." you are
0: paramour like yeah
1: i mean come on
0: surely you would be calling him k- by his first maybe it's name a king
1: i don't know like you don't know maybe he likes being called that
0: <laughs> that was crazy that that happened um, call me doctor anyway scott <laughs> on that note let's put a score on it what do you give this movie out of 10
1: i don't know scott i had fun watching this movie it was a seven i don't know it's hard to rate a film yeah. like this i feel like
0: yeah i'm gonna go slightly higher and give it a 7.1 um because I yeah. liked it honestly in talking about it, I think I, you know maybe liked it even a little bit more like just just talking about what it's trying to do and yeah. how I do think it is something interesting um I I would not be surprised if time is is kind to this movie in the way that it you know, is sometimes kind to other random horror sequels um I, I think, we will see, obviously, but maybe this one will undergo some either critical or popular, popular reevaluation in years from now. But I would uh, be pleased would to know
1: if this is quote. the case. I kind of doubt this one's gonna win back favor.
0: Yeah, maybe. Um, as long as it, I mean, as long as it's not Halloween Kills that that happens to, because Halloween Kills still stinks.
1: <laughs> um, sorry, Halloween Kills is gonna come back in favor because people are just gonna absolutely lose it over the person shooting themselves in the head yeah i mean that's again.
0: that's fair though like this movie doesn't probably doesn't have the memeable moment like that like that did so <laughs> yeah the, today's the tongue, age, the tongue well the,
1: on the on the turntable isn't going to quite do it for people i think
0: probably not yeah that's funny uh man. all right scott that should do it for our review of halloween ends um when we come back we're going to have a couple of uh news slash review items you're going to finish talking about the other films you saw at the new york film festival And, uh, you know, I mentioned the Black Phone earlier. I'm going to have some details on Scott Derrickson's next film um, after the break as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. back to this episode of some like it scott uh scott i teased it before the break scott derrickson um, has a new film which is in the works over at apple apple original films is going to be putting out his next film Um, obviously he is known for his horror films um, you know the exorcism of emily rose sinister the black phone this year and uh, he had a big studio uh, movie with dr strange um, that he directed for marvel obviously several years ago which was also horror themed um but uh scott plot twist his next movie is not going to be a horror film um it is going to be called the gorge um and this is an original sort of um action romance type film there's not a lot of details um that have been released yet as far as the plot goes but it doesn't appear from the information um, that is out there that it is going to be a, a horror film. Um and Scott, the uh the cast or at least the two leads have been announced for this film. And uh it's safe to say I think with these two leads and Scott Derrickson, this is gonna be one of Apple's bigger movies um in whatever year that this gets released. But um Killers of the Flower Moon not big enough for you. I didn't say the biggest one i said it's gonna be one of its bigger movies fair enough Uh, and we don't even know that this is coming out next year so um that's true anya taylor joy scott and miles teller are going to be playing the titular uh well not titular but they're not going to be playing (laughs) the The titular gorge Gorge. (laughs) they're going to be playing the the lovers i presume in this romance that i mentioned is what i was trying to say but um (laughs) but yeah uh obviously you know miles teller having a little bit of a comeback i guess it's safe to say um you know the teller sons. He, he wasn't um he wasn't uh around for a couple years there but after you know being sort of that da- you know tapped as being the next movie star big movie star i um, he yeah. kind of went away for a little bit but obviously he's back in top gun maverick this year um the biggest movie of this year so his name is his stock is is rising certainly and any Taylor joy you know um has been in a lot of stuff and is going to continue to be in a lot of stuff. Um, Yeah. And this is just sort of another notch in her belt going forward. You know, Scott Derrickson um, is a, you know, he's made mostly horror films, but he's a very successful director. I mean, Sinister, The Black Phone, these movies made a ton of money on pretty small budgets. Um, And so, you know, I wonder if, yes, he's doing this for Apple, but I wonder if this is kind of... um, him being given a little bit of creative license uh, because obviously it's different from what he's done before and see robert cargill who's his usual writing partner is not going to be writing this film so um he's shaking it up and i for one am interested to see what he has to offer i'm not the hugest fan of him as a director to this point like i think the black phone probably is the best film that i've seen of his Um, and even that is only like a three and a half star for me but I am intrigued by the fact that he's going in such a different direction, and I'm intrigued by the fact that he has two, you know, of of my favorite actors. Like honestly, right now, that I, I would honestly say that about both of them um, in this. That's film. That's a big so, show for Miles Teller.
1: One of your it's definitely to watch right now.
0: I mean, I, I I have been a you know a big fan of his since that one-two punch of of The Spectacular Now and Whiplash. Like I, I think. I think he's great sure. i really do and, and top gun maverick just sort of reminded me of that and i'm glad that it did
1: you absolved him of any responsibility for a uh, Spiderhead or whatever that other movie was
0: yeah i mean he wasn't he wasn't the problem with that movie certainly no that's fair He he's not
1: yeah derrickson very familiar with the small budget horror films yeah just like if you're if you're a major studio why would you give scott derrickson 30 million dollars to make a romance film so <laughs> it makes sense that no I'm I'm serious though like why would you give him that money yeah. um, it doesn't make any sense creatively to do that so you know Apple's making an interesting swing there and I guess we'll see if you know maybe like David Gordon Green if Scott Derrick and Derrickson can go outside of his you know what made him famous and do something genre wise at least a little bit different although maybe this will be like a horror romance film actually and at the end of the day and uh maybe the gorge is a supernatural a film. would
0: be would be interesting I, I don't feel like that's really his vibe but uh, yeah and if you're a
1: horror film no one that's never happened before right
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh i'll the film that she got her started but um although i guess you could say i was going to say i guess you could say whiplash is a horror film in its own way but um not yeah. not exactly what we're talking about
1: last in night in soho is a horror film in many respects i
0: think yes that that is very true
1: um the menu scott, also gonna be a bit of a horror film
0: yeah i mean you know morgan was a little bit of a horror film the witch is a little bit a, i mean you could call her a scream queen and you wouldn't be far off honestly
1: well the witch um, is definitely i mean i haven't seen it but the witch is like definitely a horror movie uh, yeah right? the, the witch yeah, is 100 okay. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah 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 um cool all right all right scott throwing it over to you now um you know last week we had you yep. sort of um review a lot of the movies that you saw briefly at the the uh new york film festival um, you finished out your slate as you alluded to earlier. Um, mm-hmm. and you saw a few big, uh, Oscar movies, you know, still to come this year. Yeah. Um, what do you want to, where do you want to go first? What do you want to talk about first?
1: Yeah. I mean, since we last updated, I saw, I think I saw maybe like five more movies. I think I saw five more movies to at the festival. I'd seen a bunch in that's in those first eight, nine days before we recorded the last episode. And then I, um, Saw the rest. So I think over the last week, I saw um, just looking at my list here. Yes, I saw women talking. It's obviously a very big um, Oscar contender. At least a lot of people believe it will be in certain departments. It's going to have like it's 100 percent going to have the mass treatment of like a lot of these people will be in the conversation. Potentially, none of them will get nominated because they're all just sort of eating each other's airspace
0: up right now right now i mean obviously it's super early to look at the odds even on this thing but it does look sure. like jesse buckley is the person who is getting the most attention as far as the awards go i've seen rudy mara's name pop up a couple times but um, yeah it's Ru- rudy mara the in, lead of the film i would yeah. say if there's
1: like one person she, who is the
0: lead she is where i've seen her name getting pop, popping up is in lead actress but as far as yeah. supporting actress um jesse buckley has is at the top top of a lot of lists right now but that's it we're in october so
1: yeah i mean that's obviously going to change i would say that that doesn't surprise me jesse buckley probably has the for the lack of a better way to describe it flashiest of the roles like she's she has a lot with that character i don't want to spoil anything that happens in the film but she's a character who i think is maybe the most volatile not not necessarily like not like in her behavior or whatever but just like that she's asked to to span the spectrum a little bit more of of the uh conversation that's taking place than anyone else is i think rooney mara is sort of the focal point if there is one in the film in terms of a lead because it's sort of the perspective it seems to you know when all else fails the perspective sort of shifts back to her um so I, w- I could see her in lead. But yeah, you know, I-, I was not underwhelmed by the film, but I it was not as good as I had expected or hoped it would be. That said, I still really thought this movie was great. I think it's really interesting in a lot of ways. Um, it feels, I'll be honest, it feels a bit Oscar-baity. When you're watching it, I'll just be honest about it. It does feel, it does feel that way.
0: I mean, with the title, um, like Women Talking, Scott, <laughs> like you're basically just yeah, setting it up. I like, mean, I know, that's true. Yeah.
1: That's true. Um, cer- certain parts of the film I think are interesting. I, I mean, I could, I mean, when we, when, if and when we review this film on the podcast, there will be plenty of stuff to talk about in this movie. I mean, this film is, as you might gather from the title, a bunch of women talking about something they should do and i find it a very tricky proposition to write around a conversation and and make it feel organic to the conclusion that the discussion arrives at like other like it always feels like it's going to be contrived because it's not it is contrived like it's it's written like the author of the book that this film is based on wrote a book knew where the conversation was going to end before it started and wrote to that conclusion, right? Like, that's just like how, like how that works. And so when the whole premise of the film is what's supposed to be this very organic, difficult decision that's being made, I do think that it's very tricky to sort of navigate it feeling contrived versus organic. And I think one thing that's really remarkable about the film is that I think one of the things the film and I, uh, by, you know, by extension, the source material is saying, One of the interesting things that it's doing there is that there is a conversation happening, but in many ways, the decision is made already at the start of the film. The fact that the the conversation is being had presupposes a certain outcome, I think. And I find it very fascinating then that when you think about the film through that lens, it becomes less of a conversation about what should we do and more of a conversation where it really reveals the sort of the women's perspectives on this decision that they all know is going to be made, whether they realize it or not. And I think that it's very interesting to, to sort of explore the sort of psyches of these different individuals who all have reasons to stay or reasons to leave. Um, and ironically, I saw this film, at, this was the first film I saw after Decisions Leave, where the entire premise of the film is a bunch of women making a decision to leave, uh, which I thought was very funny in the grand scheme of the New York film festival setting setting me up like that,
0: not hiding uh, the ball with titles this year.
1: Uh, you know, got to respect, uh, Park Chan, Wook and Sarah Polly for tag teaming the titles.
0: Also tar. It's about, it's about tar. It is. It's about, can Lydia you believe
1: tar. it? I thought again, I mean, Scott, not enough, not enough people are, are talking about the fact that this is the year of tar, the year of the tar between tar avatar Two, it's, it's happening. Everything's happening for Tar. This
0: is this is known. Yeah, I'm excited for uh women talking, Scott. Um, you know, I, I Jesse Buckley might be my favorite actress right now. So I'm obviously excited to hear that she's getting a lot of buzz for it. Um mm-hmm. and it obviously just again, just the name sounds like my kind of movie. Um, you know, <laughs> doesn't doesn't thrill Simi. me to Thrilled thrill me to hear that it's maybe a bit Oscar baity because I'm usually resistant to that, but I feel like I'm still gonna find a lot to admire in it with Sarah Pauly directing also. So,
1: yeah, and there's so much to digest in the film. I, I will say, Scott, you're not gonna like the color palette of this movie. Uh, gray is what I would call it. Um, oh boy, it literally, it, well, they've, 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 int- they've intentionally washed out the color of this film. Um, it as looks long like as there's some
0: intent
1: way. behind it. Oh. oh, there's definitely intent. There's no, there's no way they shot the film and it looked like this. I'll tell you that much. Okay. Um, there was definitely intent in it. Um, and I'll leave you to, you know, make a judgment on whether that intent was well positioned or not. Uh, I also saw the Eternal Daughter. I actually saw this right after Women Talking. Um, had never seen a Joanna Hogg film before, and <laughs> as, soon, as soon as um. Dennis Lim, who is the artistic director at the New York Film Festival, introduced this film and said, for many of you, Joanna Hogg fans out there, I think you're going to find something very special about this film. And as soon as the film was introduced that way, I was like, sounds like this film is not for me. (laughs) Um, And I don't want to talk too much about films I haven't seen, but it is. It is not a sequel to The Souvenir Part Two. It is it is definitively not. The characters' names are the same, and Joanna Hogg, after the screening with Tilda Swinton, talked about how they specifically were thinking about those characters from The Souvenir when they were writing this film. So it is not meant to be like an in-universe sequel to The Souvenir, but it very much is an evolution of the characters in The Souvenir, to the extent that they literally use the same names for the characters. So I felt a bit out of my depth. Um, Watching this film with a bunch of people who I can only assume have also have seen the souvenirs part one and two. So I felt like I'd gotten in over my head on that one. That said, I did still like this movie. Um, it's. One of those movies, I don't want to say too much to spoil it, but it is one of those movies where. Not everything is as it seems on the screen. I think this one's a little bit more obvious than some other ones. Um. I think I mentioned I, w- I mentioned After Sun in a similar with similar language last week when we were talking about that. I think that it is not to the same extent, and nor is it for thematically the same reasons. But the eten- Eternal Daughter also is not letting you in on everything that's happening. Um, the difference being that I would argue that the Eternal Daughter is actively trying to deceive you about what's happening on screen. Which I didn't think was a negative. I just didn't think it's as it's not as it's not as interesting a storytelling mechanic when things are purposely being obfuscated, um. To, to make things more difficult to, sort of parse through. But eventually, I think it becomes clear what's happening, and it definitely uh, makes for an interesting thematic exploration of. You know, similar to after Sun, I suppose, in terms of themes, but like grief and things like that and memory and um, how those types of things can take hold of you. And it's really hard to let them go. So that's the eternal daughter. And then uh, sort of switching back into Oscar bait. I then saw Armageddon time. She said and the inspection uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Last week, Armageddon Time was one of my favorites of the festival. I'm in the bag for James Gray, I guess you could say.
0: You got to watch some of his older
1: stuff now. It's true. I do. I, I do need to go back and do that. That is, it is high up on my list to go back and watch some of his older stuff. I, Scott, this is the film that I was texting you immediately afterwards about the absolute buffoons sitting next to me. The most basic surface read of a film. That I have like witnessed in a while. Granted, I, I don't have a lot of like just casual conversations talking about movies. Like most of the conversations I have about movies are on this podcast. I don't talk to that many other people about movies. But it really shocked me to hear some of the comments about this film coming next to me. People our age, by the way, these are like had to be like mid 20s guys um, you know, sitting sitting next to me. Talking about this film after. And just like, man, just like, whoosh. Whole point of the film has gone over
0: their head, I think. Um, And I didn't even think it was that subtle of
1: a film. I didn't think it was that subtle of a movie.
0: Yeah. Not not to be snooty about it. But sadly, it's how a lot of people watch movies nowadays. It's why we get, you know, what we get in terms of the mainstream film landscape.
1: Yeah. Um, Pretty... Yeah, pretty disheartening to hear that. But what was not disheartening was this movie, Scott. I really did like this movie a lot. I was a big fan. Um, Anne Hathaway, Jeremy Strong, Anthony Hopkins—sort of the big names um, in this film. I think they all deliver. Jeremy Strong—I think it's becoming clearer and clearer as some. I mean, I know you don't watch Succession, Scott, so it's not—you're not as exposed to Jeremy Strong as as a lot of people might be, but. Between that and the New Yorker article that profiled him last year around Succession season three and then getting to listen to him talk about making this movie with James Gray, talking about this performance. Like this guy is like easily one of the most interesting people to listen to talk about his art, like so fascinating to listen to him talk about it. And and it's like maybe a bit cliche, but like you can really, I think you can really see that and feel that on the screen um it's not the like uh, like full immersion into like you know method acting is not the only way to be a great actor i mean anthony hopkins and brian cox who are like old statesmen of of the industry like i think pretty much openly have said that like jeremy strong is like a basically like a psycho for doing what he does um not in a demeaning way like it's just like they could never never fathom sort of engaging with their with their art with their art form that way but with Jeremy Strong, not only is he able to sort of immerse himself in that way, but he's like such an interesting person to listen to talk about that. Um, and again, I, I think those things really, you can really see that on the screen with the way he um, like, he, well, like whatever he does, his method, it works like his method acting works for him. Um, it's amazing. Anne Hathaway. It's nice to see her back. Like man, I, I feel like she's really been like cashing checks uh, more often than not the last few years. I mean, she's made some stuff that's more serious, but Yeah, I think she's it feels like she's been MIA a bit for a while. And this felt like a real sort of return for her. The the lead in this movie, though, is Banks. I think it's Rapetta is how you pronounce his name. He's the he's the child. He's uh, James Gray um, on screen, essentially. And he's a good child actor. I wouldn't say he's a standout great child actor. Like, I, I would not expect him to be in the conversation of, like, getting a best actor nom, like, a, you know, who was it last year? It was a Jude Hill. What's the guy? Who is the guy's name? Last, who was the kid's name last year from like Belfast?
0: Yeah, that was his name, Jude Hill.
1: Yeah. And there's a couple others last year that I think were in the conversations for, like, oh, maybe the Woody get... Norman from Come On, Come Woody... On.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I, I don't, ex- I don't think he'll be in the conversation. I mean, maybe he will be. It's not the strongest year for a lead actor yet. So maybe he'd be in the conversation. Um, But I do think that he holds down that sort of like childlike sort of inquisitiveness about what's like, right? Like what is, what is the way something is and what should it be? It's not necessarily right and wrong, but like someone who sees something for what it is and, and sort of questions whether or not it should be that way. And I think that he's, he does a really good job doing that and, and not to go too deep into the film, but, one of the things that really, really irked me about the about the people next to me talking about this film after is that, I mean, this film is is very semi-auto, you know, very autobiographical for James Gray. It's like the whole film is about him um, growing up and receiving oppor- and receiving a huge opportunity to be successful, and the whole film is again, I don't know how much is real versus not real, but the whole film is is engineered around calling out this opportunity that he had clearly identifying it with privilege and specifically white privilege in the film. And I think that it's a real self analysis around, you know, acknowledging and recognizing your privilege and questioning whether the world should work like that. And the people next to me are at the end of the film. They're sitting there talking about, well, if this is what, James Gray. Like, this is how the movie's ending. Like, what does this say about James Gray? And I'm like, my guys, it's it says that he's really questioning whether or not the system should work this way, but he has clearly benefited from it. And I think as an artist... You gotta sort just of grapple, ignore these people's bad. I know. I mean, it was, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. I mean, I didn't engage with them, but I was just like, I mean, I was just sort of sitting in shock. I mean, that was just one of the several things that they said about the film that just sort of blew my mind. Um, And I just think that it's I, I have a bit of a soft spot for, for auteur filmmakers making semi-autobiographical work where they are sort of putting under the microscope the circumstances under which they came to become who they were. And I think this film feels really... Um, it really checks all those boxes i think i also like i haven't seen all of james gray's films but i think that this is going to be like definitely be the most most accessible of his movies like yes it is not um you know i I feel like so so many people complain about ad astra and lost city of z being like framed as these sort of like adventure films almost um this film is not portrayed as an adventure film and is exact and you're gonna get exactly what you expect from this movie
0: yeah i think Scott, all I want to know is when will these white men stop making films about their childhood, uh, and you yeah. know, prescribing importance upon them?
1: Oh uh, well, the good news is Bardo comes out later this year, and that's a not white man making a film about his childhood. So,
0: and it's got no bad reviews.
1: We're we're in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just imagine if he was a white man making a film about his childhood, yeah. it might have good reviews, like The Fableman. Exactly. <laughs> yeah uh but i i really was a huge fan of armageddon time i think at the end of the festival it was my number three film um behind tar and after sun so you know it's probably going to be in the conversation for me towards the end of the year i mean i've seen a lot of the big end of year films now i guess there's a there's a handful more but i i would expect it to be in the conversation towards the end of the year sorry i unloaded on that one because it was my number three i did also see she said i read a pretty lengthy letterbox review about this one Um, I don't want to rehash it too much. I felt it was a film of two halves. The first half felt very awkward, like it didn't really quite know how to tell the start of its story. It seemed very, it seemed like it didn't really know what to do. And so it was just telling you how important the story was, which, you know, it is a very important story. It's probably the most important story in media and entertainment in the last 10 years. Uh, I didn't need to be told over and over again how important it was. And I felt that that was a bit stilted and awkward in the first 30 to 45 minutes. Ironically, um, as soon as it actually starts to get into the the important parts of the story, I, I, the film gets much better. Um, I think Carey Mulligan and Zoe Kazan are very good. I particularly liked Zoe Kazan in the film. Um you know she's doing something i mean they're both doing something i think that's very interesting and very and this is one of the things i wrestle with like when you get these stories like it's not like it is like spotlight and it is like dark water but it is also not like those movies because i didn't know anything about those the subject matter of those films before i went and watched the movies and i kind of feel like i know like almost everything about this about this story already Um, that's obviously an exaggeration. I don't know the minutiae details, but like I'd read the article, I'd read the New York Times piece that they published in, you know, 2016, 2017, whenever it was. And, you know, I, the fact that we do this podcast, you know, every week or every other week or whatever means that we are, you know, up to date on, on nearly every story that breaks in the industry related to this. And it's like, really, I think it's like. This isn't a criticism, but like it is very hard, I think, to make a movie that is compelling about a story that everyone knows, like already knows everything about. I think it's very difficult to make a story and make a film about that. And I think that's where it sort of jetted up against itself is that it, it was very hard, I think, to start to tell that story. But the good news is, is that once it finds its footing, I think starting around the 45-minute mark, um, I felt much more immersed in the in the film. It felt very cinematic, I will say. Um, they did manage to make it much more cinematic once the investigation really gets underway, like fully swept in and the emotional moments at the end of the film. Um, you know, they resonated with me like it, like when I mean, it's hard to spoil anything in this film, probably. But like when Jodie Cantor, who is Zoe Kazan's character, is on the phone with Ashley Judd and Ashley Judd is telling her that she will go on the record for the story. That's a very emotional moment because they were worried that their story was going to get torched because they didn't have any woman actually on the record willing to to openly like use their name and put their name on the story and when that happens it's a very emotional moment i mean granted this was the world premiere that i was at like completely full theater literally every person involved with the story there because it's a new york story everyone's there um so obviously it has amplified emotions and amplified importance in that in that audience and in that theater Uh, i'll acknowledge that but i I think the film did really work in the second half and so i i did feel like it, it sort of managed to recover from a very weak start
0: Yeah, it's one I'm I'm a little concerned about, Scott. I've mentioned that before. The trailer um, didn't didn't necessarily excite me. Um, sounds like yeah. you know there are some positives, which is good, but maybe not the home run that these types of movies can often be for me. I mean, you know, you mentioned like a Spotlight or a Dark Waters, or you know, obviously it goes all the way back to all the Presidents Men. You're talking about some of my favorite movies here. Not sure this is going to shake out like that, but um, you know. we'll we'll probably find some things to admire about it.
1: Yeah, I think there definitely are some things to admire about it. Um, I just, yeah, I I do think that it's, it's this tricky thing where I don't really feel like the film has an air of self-importance to it, but it did want to remind you a lot early on that it was an important film. Um, Mm. it, It does manage again to shrug that off after 45 minutes and move on from it. But it was sort of on my mind in the first half hour. The second uh sorry, the last film, probably my biggest surprise of the festival, maybe maybe second only to After Sun, just because I just was so overwhelmed by by that film. But the inspection, it was the closing night film at the festival. <clears throat> elegance Bratton's um speaking of autobiographical stories, it is wr- written and directed by elegance Bratton, who is an ex Marine um turned filmmaker. He's a probably most known to date for his documentaries, but has been interested in making feature films for a while and was able to make this film over the course of several years. Jeremy Pope is the lead of the film. There's a minor supporting role from um, Gabrielle Union. She's not in the film for a terribly long time, um, even though she's sort of billed as like the main supporting actress in the film, I think just because of the notoriety and name recognition of her in the cast. But uh, there's a whole sort of, supporting cast of characters, uh, fellow Marines of his. But um, yeah, it's a it's the sort of autobiographical story about a gay black man who joins the Marines after being homeless for nearly a decade and sort of um, disowned by his mom to an extent um, for being gay and not being the son she wanted him to be, essentially. And it's a story about how this guy. This man continued to receive um, homophobic abuse in the military and training and boot in boot camp but how even though the military was a a place of great hostility for him at times but how he also found great salvation in it and I and the film ended up being a lot more nuanced um, a lot richer in in themes and detail than I was expecting and this is like one of those movies at the festival that you know I hadn't really heard anything about it before. I mean, I had seen comments about after Sun being great, which is why I don't not sure if even that is as big a surprise as this, but you know, as someone who had never really seen anything Jeremy Pope had done, um, had never heard of elegance Bratton, um, the, the co-stars, you know, Raul Castillo is in this, who had a very memorable role in cha-cha real smooth earlier this year. He's sort of playing a similar, almost like a sort of mentor type figure. Although it's not played exactly straight like that in Cha-Cha Real Smooth, although he does have that sort of big scene towards the end of the film where he's very much a a dad-mentor type figure. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets that in spades. And the film, he sort of like played that straight from the start. And I think that... I just found it very... Um, a very, not interesting film, but a very reflective movie. Something that acknowledges the flaws of something, but says it's not as you know just because there these things are problematic about this thing doesn't mean that it's all bad and that yes i was called homophobic slurs for example uh, by my fellow marines but i also found a level of brotherhood that doesn't ex- that i've never found anywhere else in life and i found a you know a measure of salvation in these people that i would never have found on the streets in new york city or new jersey or wherever um so i found it to be a very complex film in a world where these types of like issue movies would be very black and white most of the time and I think that I really appreciated I mean that only comes I think from it being autobiographical in nature and I think that it really makes the most makes the most of that I I don't know if I text I thought about texting this to you but I'm not sure if I did Scott so just stop me if I did but I this film reminded me a lot of the novice not in a in being a psychological thriller. It wasn't a psychological thriller by any means, but an autobiographical story about a formative time in the person's life that was very traumatic, but also found sort of some like I think was complex enough to find positives in that experience. And I think that's very much this what this film is about. Um, a very empowering film, almost in a way. It was very it was a very good experience. I would recommend it. The inspection. <laughs>
0: Yeah, not one that I had had on my radar until recently, but, um, you know, I've been hearing a lot of good things. It is an A24 film, I believe, right? Um, It is, yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. always in the bag for that, so. um, A24 vibes. Absolutely. All right, uh, well, I think that should just about do it for the episode. Scott, thank you for your reports from the festival. I look forward to discussing some of these movies with you in more detail once I get the chance to see them, uh, which will hopefully be starting soon, so. Where can our listeners find you on social media?
1: At shelton 2013
0: And I am at Scarby Dent on all platforms. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. But even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And we hope that you will be back for our next episode of the podcast in two weeks when we will be reviewing the aforementioned oscar candidate from director todd field tar but until then for scott shelton i'm scott harvey we'll see you down the road